0: Are you seeking to broaden your horizons to stay relevant and become future fit? Do you want to fuel your creativity and inspire innovation? Or are you simply looking to put a kapow back into your business? Then look no further. Join Carmen Murray, entrepreneur, innovator, and tech fundi with her big personality and presentation style as she interviews celebrities alchemists, newsmakers, and business experts to discover the stories behind their success. The Carmen Murray Show will open your mind and help you turn knowledge into magic. Let knowledge be your superpower. And now, from Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray. Hey, hey Chantal, how are
1: you? I'm good. I'm great. <laughs> Happy Always to be here. Always so good to see you. To our audiences, our Future Fit tribe, I would love to introduce you to Chantal Buerta uh, from Brand Love. Uh, I have to tell you the story. The first time I met her, she did this workshop all about customer experiences and I was fascinated. I wasn't even supposed to go that day. And my boss at the time asked me, would you go instead? Because I can't go. And I went and I was fascinated It's Lego and it's, it's jam sessions. And I was just absolutely fascinated. And I learned so much during that time. This woman has got a heart of gold and truly so much passion for people. But also she specializes in cultures and what happens within organizations to build better cultures and i've been talking about this and i sometimes feel like i'm echoing into this chamber and i want to speak to somebody who actually understands what's going on because i'm I'm concerned about about people's well-being at the moment and yesterday switched my phone off for the first time i think i since i've had a phone for a full day and i promise you the feelings i had was guilt of none <laughs> So, um, without further ado, um, Chantal, I just want to give you the floor and maybe give us context of what is happening in um, businesses, organizations currently.
2: Awesome. Awesome. So Carmen, thanks for inviting me. And I remember uh, that workshop so well when we met each other and you were like a breath of fresh air. I felt like, sure, I I met my sister from another mother, so amazing, amazing. Yeah, I think, you know, listening to you talk about switching, switching the phone off, there's like a real withdrawal, like there's like a real, you know, it feels like the sense of foreboding, something terrible is going to happen. And I think yo, what I've seen in the last two years since the pandemic started is just a lot of fear. I, I, think, I think we're dealing with a pandemic of a very different kind that's happening inside of people, inside organizations, and that's just pervasive fear. So some of the symptoms of this fear that we see is, you know, people being afraid to disconnect. So they never off email, they never off their phones because they mm. they almost scared of being caught out. They they almost try and overcompensate, you know. I'm gonna mention like a really strange thing that I that I started noticing this year that people are in multiple meetings at the same time. So sometimes they run a Teams meeting and they're on a chat and they're on a Zoom meeting with someone else. And and I said to them, what the fuck? You can't be in more than one meeting at the same time, right? If we were in offices, I mean, would you run between two meeting rooms? And I think that's just, for me, a sign of of some of the fear, the fear that's running rife, the fear of missing out, the fear of You know, someone asking, have you been to this? Do you know this? I know of a company that actually has a policy that if you're not in a meeting, you have to watch the meeting recording if there's any actions for you. Now, I can't think about some of the meetings that, you know, I attend with clients. There's not even a bigger punishment than actually watching the meeting afterwards if you're not in the meeting. So just strange symptoms that's really showing us that there's a lot of fear And I think people are probably fearful, most of like imposter syndrome, like someone telling them they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. I also think people are really afraid that they're going to lose their jobs. And I think if you were struggling with significance before COVID, you know, finding that significance in your job post COVID, when you're not in an office, you you don't have any of the the power play and almost the political tools at your disposal to make sure that people know that I'm significant, I have an impact. You know, so I think that's a lot of what we see. And I think organizations, the help cries that I get from leaders is like, you know, you need to come and help us. We need to fix this now. I think if you had a culture that was semi-toxic before COVID, you're going to have issues. If you had cultural fault lines that you were trying to cover up with values posters on the walls, you have a big problem right now because what's happened with culture? Shall we talk about culture for a little bit? Yes, let's do that. and, And also, this is not, I don't have years of longitudinal studies to back up what I'm saying. This is more the world according to Chantal, right? So, You know, if we look at culture, culture was very much impacted by, you know, where I sit, who am I grouped with, what's the many, because there isn't one culture in an organization, there's many cultures, it's like these tribes within tribes, right? And if I'm hanging out with the cool kids, and you know, our manager leaves us alone, we can kind of have this subculture that's really cool. But as soon as we get together in bigger groups, you know, some of the issues that's in the culture that that starts to show. Now, I'm sitting in my kitchen, you know, in front of my fridge, and I can work in my onesie. You know, what's happened with culture now? So culture now lives on email, it lives inside, you know, Microsoft Teams and Zoom. Uh we've seen a real issue where we have meetings with people and we've actually never seen them because they never switch their cameras on inside so- a brand lab. Like. We've got a we've got a cameras on culture. So if your camera's not on It means like you, you know, you must be half dying, like to switch your camera, switch your camera off. So I think what's happened with culture is now I can kind of protect myself in my own environment and I don't have all this human chemistry around me. I also now need to develop new defense mechanisms. So if I'm on teams and, you know, people can see me and, you know, maybe my background is not so great and I'm sitting in front of my fridge or, you know, my purple curtains is ugly. You know, n- now I have a different fear. I have different defense mechanisms. And I think that's what's kind of this disconnect that's happening. If the culture weren't strong before COVID, organizations are now really under pressure. Mm. Um in the States, we're seeing, you know, people just resigning, just saying, listen, I'm not going to put up with this shit any longer because I can okay. I can work from anywhere. You know, if I'm a knowledge worker, I can plug in from anywhere. I don't have to put up with, you know, other people's shit. And I'm leaving. I'm either starting my business or I'm choosing to have multiple gigs at the same time. I think, you know, in our environment, we're still fairly protected from that because I think unemployment is, you know, sky high, Maybe people don't have so many choices. We call them corporate captives because sometimes in a corporate environment, you've, you've been fairly safe, you've been remunerated well, but your self-confidence has plummeted to such a level that you probably don't think you have many choices.
1: That is something very profound. Let's, let's go there because I have seen this in many organizations. For me, and I, I'm sure you would agree with me, when your culture... Is suck dry, no confidence, they, as you said, um, corporate captives, it seeps into your customer experience in the end of the day, and that builds your credibility, is how the, the, the person that's buying from you perceives the culture which is from the person in the front line. And I have seen organizations that are so toxic and I almost feel like toxicity is becoming a norm that nobody feels that they can escape it and you know we all run to psychologists now and we we run to therapists to help us so we can cope with this boss and with this situation and they keep on telling us boundaries boundaries but it's not as easy as people think it is and would the corporate environment allow those kind of boundaries because if you if you don't do what i say there's a lot of other people out there that don't have a job that would be happy to do what you do yeah
2: the thing about boundaries is i think you know everyone wants to be liked right we want to feel like we belong we don't want i think so many people are just they they want to please others and in setting that boundary You're taking personal risk in being disliked, right? That's why people don't set boundaries is, is that personal risk for them in that moment is just too high to be disliked. So either they collapse, you know, that boundary or they walk around, you know, thinking about, you know, why can't I get this right? Why don't I do this? And, and sometimes they make the fear of that personal risk a lot higher than, than what it should be, right? So you know that's when we see that behavior. I get emails from people in corporate eleven o'clock at night, mm. one to thirty in the morning, and you know mostly I I kind of look at the time and and I go I usually kind of try and use it as a bit of a research basis to say, sure I got this email from you so late. Are you struggling with insomnia, or you know <laughs> what what makes you send an email that time of the? of the night. And, and you know, some people said, well, I've done all of my home responsibilities and my kids are in bed and, and I thought I'd just catch up before tomorrow. And I think this bleeding of my personal life, my work life, You know, people not coping with stress, people not getting through the day. Because what's happened is now we have no walking time between meetings, right? So people go back to back to back to back. They never get to their email. They address those emails after hours. And they're constantly playing this catch-up game. Some of it, I do believe there's a chemical dependency. Like, we turn into junkies, right? Because Mm -hmm. because someone said to me a few years back, I was complaining about my calendar, and they go like chantal do you manage your calendar or does your calendar manage you like who do wow. you report to do you actually report to your calendar and i'm going fuck yes i shouldn't my calendar shouldn't be managing me like i, I you know i'm the boss like i chose to be i chose to be an entrepreneur so that i can, so that i can enjoy my life so more so true yeah, yeah but i think sometimes sometimes we get into these patterns and we struggle to break out of the patterns and when covid happened I didn't see a lot of companies saying, listen, we need to make new agreements with our staff. We need to agree some you know, terms. How are we going to work together? Yes, they sent them laptops and they said, like, you sort out your Wi-Fi and stuff like that. But there wasn't like, guys, can we agree? What times are we going to be online? Like, brand love, we work on Mondays, we have a three-hour block. We're all working virtually, but we have, like, office hours. So, for those three hours we get in a zoom room we work together we have some coffee we have breakout rooms to do our project stand-ups and stuff and we work together as if we would have been in an office if you've got a question or if you've got a joke you tell it and you you banter i don't see a lot of corporates actually doing stuff like that it's almost like you know they were fighting the shock of when is normal life going to happen and, and normal life i don't think is going to happen for mm-hmm. a few years It's it's like we condensed I love the brand in South Africa that's talking about disruption. I mean, like this is like real disruption, right? We we crunched like a, a technology progression into four weeks that you know would have taken like 15 years for companies to be forward thinking and thinking, hey, my people can work from anywhere. Hey, they can actually be comfortable, they can eat their vegetables right from their fridge and still do amazing, amazing work. So I think, you know, some of this agreement never happened. And, and now you're seeing, you know, some people overcompensating, some people kind of really not being able to, to hold that work life balance. And I'm seeing a lot of, you know, just wellness implications. Um, mm. I think a lot of people are suffering from more depression. I think people are struggling with defining their identity in this new in this new world because my identity you know i was drifting from meeting to meeting and you know i was admired and you know i could make decisions and now i'm drifting from team's room to team's room without a camera on and and i have no way of reading you know how i'm landing i i I need to figure out myself my my whole new identity
1: Mm. And, and you know what's what's so interesting about it so I studied my postgraduate diploma in management practice with Henley Business School, and we were assigned a task as a group to work together um, to achieve the end goal of reimagining South Africa. And we had to do a lot of research, and one of the things that we focused on was youth development. And I must tell you, the repercussions of depression on human beings. So you've got your psychological capital, that people that have hope and resilience, and we don't see many of those people around anymore, by the way, and then you have your psychological distress, and that is where people become depressed. They can't become critical thinkers. If there's one thing that COVID taught us through the Black Swan event, it exposed all the company's vulnerabilities. Furthermore, what we've also witnessed is this micromanagement, like I don't believe that you're working, so I'm going to give you extra work and make sure that you're busy all the time. And there comes a time where people just reach, um, I think it's a a Kubras, a Ross Kubras, where, you know, you go through the the different stages, then you're happy, then you're sad, then you're anxious, then you're angry, and then you just go, flip it. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm out, as you mentioned. Then we have, on top of that, South Africa's labor law. So I want to tell you a very interesting story I discussed this with Graham Codrington as well. During the pandemic, there was a high unemployment rate. People could find people that are suitable for the company that they wanted to recruit, but because they had a bad credit record, because they had to file for um for what 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 bankruptcy uh, bankruptcy yeah. or, or there was a case um where you know we uh, for relief just just asking for relief you automatically put under a God that you are a credit credit risk. They couldn't employ these people, 175 people, right? So there's company policies that didn't change for this new world. And if you had a bad credit record, now you're not employable. And then furthermore, there's also the the whole thing about, as you said, like uh, uh, corporate captives, where where they're like, you know what, I'll I'll take that 40% cut, I'm just going to stay here. Uh, maybe I should, uh, should start a side hustle and then they get told if you start a side hustle, you are, you're out of a job because of moonlighting. So it's just this vicious like uh, circle. Like Side hustles will actually make a dramatic impact on our economy and actually will make people far more productive. And they could actually create more jobs in order to be of better service because you'll work harder. I just don't understand this whole conundrum. Well, I think so many of these rules
2: come out of a industrial age, right? We, we need like new rules. I mean, if, when companies say you're not allowed to have a side hustle, what they're essentially saying is like, you know, we're afraid that our work is so shit boring that if you have a side hustle, you can spend all your time there and <laughs> not want to do like your real work. Essentially, that's what they're saying, right? So, you know, I think, you know, if I looked at, Let's say I was like the world oracle and I could say to companies, okay, this is what you should be doing right now. I really think it's about in reinventing leadership, like how we lead. It's like reestablishing trust in a very different mm-hmm. way where trust is not based on, you know, KPIs and rules and scores, but you know, there's a new language of trust. And I think it's about building people's self-confidence. So, you know, we talk about the corporate captives, and I, and I just want to mention this for a moment. So we work with thousands of people every year going through our programs. We've got the Brand Warrior program, which is like unleashing human potential. We've got the Culture Evolution program. And we see a lot of people on autopilot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the thing about a human on autopilot is it conserves energy. So there's no judgment for a human being on autopilot. I've spent some time on autopilot, you know, when my heart was so broken by the corporate brands that I, that I slaved away for and that I, I, I generated so many ideas and that I, I spent my, my heart and my soul just was in it. And I think I've been on autopilot for, for months at a time. The thing about autopilot is you conserve a lot of energy. You don't feel a heck of a lot. Because you don't want to, you, you don't want to have pain, so you flip on autopilot to avoid avoid pain. But what you're doing in that process, you're also avoiding pleasure. So you can't spend your days on autopilot at work, and when you get home, you're like, okay, let me just flick that switch on because it takes it takes too long to like mm. boot up the whole human system again. So we work with tons of people that are on autopilot that they, they've almost become too afraid to feel and too afraid to live just live fully. And I think it's really a combination of creating an environment for human potential to flourish, leading people in a different way, and giving people skills. Nobody has the skills that they need right now to work in this virtual environment. If I look at, you know, I ask people a lot, why aren't your cameras on? They go, but I I look terrible. I go, no, you're beautiful. They go, but like, I don't know how to, and I go, just hide yourself. Hide yourself and just pretend like, and, and, you know, maybe it's time that we all start dealing with, you know, this critical inner voice. I mean, Mm -hmm. one day I did, I did like a makeup tutorial. Now, my 10 year old daughter can do better makeup than what I can. And she did. (laughs) For the first few months of COVID, she did my makeup every morning. It was lovely. But, you know, I, I, I would, you know, I would call myself Smart. I would never refer to myself as pretty, but you know what? I didn't choose this. This was given to me. And, you know, some of what I've had to deal with is saying, like, you know, if I'm on camera, I want someone to see straight into my heart, not mm. to look at the pieces of my face that bother me. And I did this makeup tutorial on LinkedIn, partly to push through my own discomfort, to say, like, because I can't do makeup in under a minute. And I just put, like, lipstick on my cheeks. I look like something out of a horror movie for a few <laughs> moments. And then I go, like, hey, this is me. I've got so much that I want to give you. I want to leave you smarter. I, wanna, I want you to feel just in the moment with me. I want you to feel love. And that's much more important than what my face looks like. And, and I think it's, it's that thing that, that is a skill that I've had to teach myself. So I think it's about upgrading the human operating system, yeah. giving this human operating system new skills to flourish in this new world. And most of all for leaders to get over themselves and, and realize that, listen, my old leadership tactics of walking past your office and just looking through the glass, you know, are you really working? You know, that's, that's outdated. All right. And now we, what we're doing is some companies are replacing that with software that now track whether I'm really working. Where am I spending my time? And I'm going, that's not, that's not a cool indicator of trust, right? Mm-mm. Now I'm installing software to check up on you.
1: Yeah, and, 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 and trust is the currency of the 21st century, and the, the sad thing for me is, is that I read a research study that said over 80% of South Africans are starting side hustles, and I'm going, booyah, I'm so happy to hear that, because that means that you're taking life, you know, in control of, of what you need to do for yourself. Before we close off, I want to talk about a very profound moment that was exceptionally emotional that you did during COVID. You shaved your hair off in front of the camera. And I watched it twice. I was like, wow, you are so courageous. Like what you did there and what you tried to get across the message. And I would like for you to maybe explain how it came about. Why did you do it? I think.
2: You know, I, 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 and I, you transported me back to that. And thank you for that gift because that was, a, I think, a very emotional time in my life. So, so what preceded the shaving of the hair is I spent a month in America and I traveled to the Ritz-Carlton and Zappos to really get inside of their cultures. And it was this amazing culture tour that I've been planning for months. And I had done a, a women's retreat. I was a, a co-facilitator at a women's retreat. And really lived in a bubble for about a week before they announced the lockdown in South Africa. So I got back on the very last flight from New York City to Cape Town. And I spent about three hours on the runway where where they were deciding whether they were going to fly or not. Um I'm a mother of three kids. I hadn't seen my kids for a month. And I knew that if I got stuck there, it would be for a period that was like probably not. Not not as long as what I want to ever be away from from my kids. So, I arrived back in South Africa, and kind of on the way here, I realized I'm going to have to go into quarantine and not see my kids for a, for another two weeks. So, the decision to shave my hair was it was starting to look really crap, and I needed to do something. And I wasn't going to rush to in lockdown rush to a hairdresser, and also for me very symbolic in what we need to let go. It was like, I think just, you know, surreal those first few days of lockdown when I walked outside, we live in a very busy part of Cape Town and I walked outside and it was like dead, 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 dead quiet. And I think some of, yeah, just some of the, some of the, almost the shock and the grief of saying life has changed forever and we need to deal with it. And, In those two weeks, I actually set up my, my family prepared a room for me in our offices, which subsequently closed down. And I stayed in our offices and, you know, every morning my kids came to wave through the window until I, until I finally had a, had a COVID test. And I realized just a massive reprioritization of what we need Mm -hmm. in order to be happy. And we need so little, you know, we don't need hair. We don't need new clothes. You know, we need just a lot of love and we need compassion and we need understanding for our fellow human beings. And shaving my hair was a bit of that stripping it all away and just saying, like, listen, this is me. I'm probably gonna have to be on camera a lot during the next few months. And I've gotta deal with this and I've gotta invite, you know, all these new skills in and I've gotta just it's almost a real like like distillation of you know I'm convinced I still have so much to give you know let's start giving and that's in fact what we did is those first few weeks of COVID we ran some weeks we ran three online workshops we supported women in leadership we did laughter yoga we had people bring their their kids and their family and you know my kind of master plan behind that was to keep my team incredibly busy so that they would be slightly distracted and not like just go into the doom and gloom and just in that place where you give so much of yourself to someone else and try and help them you kind of forget your own crises and Mm. and just seeing the joy on people's faces we had a we had a little girl her mom came to the laughter yoga sessions with her twice. And then she started coming by herself and she said, no, I asked my mom mom to switch switch on zoom because I wasn't going to miss this laughter yoga. And it was just so beautiful to see this child make healthy choices for herself and enjoy the laughter yoga. I mean, she could run the class eventually. (laughs) This is how much she came to the, to the laughter yoga. And I think Carmen, just to conclude the, the discussion about culture, You know, I think it's time for organizations to be what they say they are and to be that unashamedly, you know, so in COVID, we couldn't give our staff increases. So we moved down to a four day week. And, you know, my team's always like, they still got this guilt thing. If a client wants to meet on a Friday and I said to them a week ago, I said, like, you know, we're progressive. We're actually breaking all of the rules. You know, I'm the boss. I can tell, I can say how this company works. And I wanted everybody to have a four day week. And I said to them, we should be unashamedly bragging about our four-day week, not feeling guilty because a client really wants to see us on a Friday, because we want to be what we say we are. And I think that's my invitation for companies, you know, start being what you say you are. And, and you know, if there's a value that you feel incoherent with, take it off, Mm. tear it off the wall, find another one that works for you. I think all organizations in 2022, you should be taking the values out and your mission and your vision and all your value propositions and promises and really looking, are we being true to that and align it? Mm.
1: And there's nothing wrong in changing your value system. I mean, like, this is something you need to audit all the time as time goes by. And I think some people just like hang on to a value that somebody else's value that they inherited. From a hundred years ago, like evolve with the times. Yeah. I mean I used to I used to have a box of clothes in my
2: cupboard. Okay. It used to say on the side of the box skinny clothes. That was before I had three kids, right? Size thirty two. Like there was no way I was going to ever fit into a size 32 again. But I moved like three times with this box of skinny clothes. And then (laughs) I reached menopause. And I went like, what the fuck am I doing with this box of skinny clothes? I'm never, ever going to be a size 32 again. And I think organizations do that. They move with these outdated rules and outdated values. They're never going to fit into them again. It's like the size 32 jeans, okay? I've made peace. I would rather die happy and loving food that ever fit into a size 32 jeans again.
1: Exactly. Like, exactly. Well, I, I don't think that that ever happened to me. <laughs> so you had your moment, okay? Listen. It's been about 30 years since I
2: fit it into a size 32 jeans. Let's just be totally honest. I mean, one of my values is realness. Let's just be real. <laughs>
1: <laughs> On, well, there you go. Authenticity always rules. Um, I would love to have you back at some point in time. I think there's a lot that we can discuss and maybe we can map out like two or three episodes that we can do together oh. and, and just talk about real life and, you know, taking your career from a crisis moment to a catalyst moment. Maybe we can do something like that if you can. Absolutely. Fabulous. Absolutely. Stunning. Um, sorry, Stanley, we ran Stanley, out Stanley. of time, but we definitely um, just need to, to say thank you so much for the valuable insights. And if there's one word of the day for me, it's corporate captives. <laughs> Corporate captives, it is. And I love that. I think that's amazing. Thank you so much for all your insights and talent. It was so lovely to catch up with you.
2: Absolutely, Carmen. Thanks for inviting me. I, I feel like I've been at a, at a spa day instead of being <laughs> on a podcast.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye-bye, Noel. Bye bye now. Bye, Tribe.
0: You've been listening to The Carmen Murray Show, another solid gold podcast. Please take a moment to rate and share this episode with friends and colleagues who love customer experience and marketing just as much as you do. To connect with Carmen, visit CarmenMurray.com, where you will find links to her business services, future fit events, and biz community articles. Carmen Murray is CEO of Ouya Modern Marketing Services that empower businesses to deliver premium customer experiences, B2B. B2C and B2B2C across all industries. Some of these services include research, CX strategy, persona development and customer journey mapping, CX audits, UX audits, and the connected marketer training in connected customer experiences, mobile, data management, and AI. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.